And welcome to Animal Tales podcast episode number 11, brought to you by SPCA Tampa Bay. Welcome to YouTube. My name is Eric Keaton. Our guest is Dr. Rizal Lopez from the SPCA Tampa Bay Veterinary Center. I know, folks, back-to-back -back doctors. Doctor, welcome. What are the odds? Well, thank you. Good to be here. No, thank you. We have a lot to talk about spay and neuter, but I'd like to remind everybody and say thank you. Our last episode, we were talking with Dr. Sharon Pindar, and I was saying how 93% of the people who watch the podcast are not subscribed. We've got that number, I guess you could say, way down. So more of you have subscribed to the podcast. Thank you. And for our German podcast viewers and listeners, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, this is Folge Elf. Okay, I misunderstood. I'm sorry. I made a boo-boo. Not Alf, but episode 11, Elf in German. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. We always try to get a little corny here on the podcast. Nothing wrong with that, right? Mission accomplished. You have to have some fun. Okay, let's talk about spay and neuter in a little bit. But first, I always welcome our SPCA Tampa Bay staff uh, our colleagues to talk a little bit about how you got involved with the organization. So when did you find SPCA Tampa Bay? So I ha I'm actually one of the oldest tenured That's right. employees. Uh, I've been here 12 years now uh, and working on 13. So joined in 2011. Um, I had been in private practice for about a dozen years uh, and uh, had moved around the country a little bit and ended up in private practice uh, in St. Petersburg and saw the position for a shelter veterinarian uh, open up and uh, I hemmed and hawed for a little bit with some support from my wife. Uh, we ended up uh, applying for the position and I got the, the job back in 11. I've worn a number of hats since then. Yeah, yeah, you have. But we can get into that a little bit, but when did the light bulb flicker on for you to say, you know, I, I think I want to help animals? And become a doctor. Yeah, so uh, I have a, a little bit of a non-traditional path towards uh, joining the veterinary profession. So when I uh, graduated from high school, uh, I was very strong in science and uh, had not really considered medicine. And uh, from some influences within the family, uh, ended up joining the military. And so I uh, studied to be a nuclear engineer, uh, went through a couple years of uh, engineering school in, in the Navy and ultimately was assigned to a nuclear submarine and served six years. Uh, this was back in the uh, mid-80s to early 90s. Cold and, War time. Yeah, <laughs> the good old days. Um, but ultimately, uh, that, uh, so the Navy was absolutely an adventure. I got to travel. I was you know, a nice young age, but old enough to appreciate uh, what I was doing and seeing. Um, but ultimately, I didn't think it was a career for me. And it wasn't towards the end of my time that I was talking to a family member and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, as I was laying there in the house playing with a dog, uh, she's like, have you ever considered being a veterinarian? This is my stepmom. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I started to figure it out, research it a little bit. And uh, ultimately, as I got out of the military, I had decided that I wanted to pursue being a veterinarian. 
and so started that whole journey afresh uh, in my mid-20s when most people have figured out when they're like five yeah. uh, and want to be their whole life, they want to be a veterinarian. I did not come to that conclusion so early, so it and took me a while. That is definitely the jump from nuclear engineer to, I like to call veterinarians, the pet doctors. Yeah. Um, but being with us now for one of the longest tenured employees, staff members, also a big difference when you go from private practice to shelter medicine. Could you talk about that a, a little bit? Because there is a, a big difference. I, I know Dr. Pendar was talking, uh, you know, big difference when you're treating animals here versus at the veterinary center and treating privately owned pets. Yeah, um, and having been in private practice myself for a dozen years, um, it was a, a little bit of a transition. Um, when we, we deal with clients all the time in private practice, mm -hmm. they are always associated with the animals that we are uh, treating and, and working with. Um, when you make the jump to shelter medicine, it's um, there's still the individual animals that you're dealing with, uh, but you're also responding to the staff and the people that uh, are the donors. Um, so there is a human clientele that you're still yeah. uh, accounting for. Um, but there's a jump to the sort of herd medicine. You have to really think globally within mm -hmm. the confines of your shelter. Um, so the decisions you're making for a couple of animals, um, they may have implications for dozens or hundreds of animals afterwards if there's an outbreak of something or you're managing some sort of situation, behavior things. Um, you have to think about a lot of animals at the same time, whereas in private practice, tends to be thinking about that, that animal, that client, that room, uh, and then you're moving on to the next one, you know, the next half hour, 15 minutes or whatever. So there's a little bit of a, a jump there. In terms of the quality of medicine, we hope and hold ourselves to really high standards in all facets of what we do. So if you're working in a shelter, your resources could be limited, uh, and so sometimes you have to think outside the box or be a little yeah. creative. But the same thing happens in private practice. Not everybody can afford to do everything, and so you're all having to be creative with how you're treating cases and managing things for people. Yeah, because you want to help them all. You, you certainly do, yeah. yeah. So, and, and being here with SPCA Tampa Bay, it's taken you from here in Largo to the creation of a whole new pet hospital, the veterinary center down in St. Pete. Could you talk about that and, and those different roles and how you really have helped transform the organization? Well, uh, Martha, our CEO, who uh, I started one month before she did, so we, we started together and really um, learned a lot. Um, from the beginning, from when we started, we knew and had heard from the from the community mm -hmm. uh, that they wanted some sort of access to public medicine. They had uh, very high regards for the organization and thought it would be uh, something that you know we should be offering. So Martha and I, we put that on the back burner. I was just starting off as a shelter vet, and we were trying to get things uh, underway. Uh, but it didn't take too long for us to realize that, that we needed to address it somehow. So she had asked me as to whether I would be interested in being a part of the creation of something like our veterinary center. And we had to imagine what that would even be, uh, and then certainly had to get into the details of where, how, all of those things. Yeah. So for about three years, uh, I actually pulled back from treating animals completely, uh, went into an administrative role, and, um, and with a lot of people's help, uh, we figured out how to, how to do that hospital. So putting it together, 
architect, contractor, permits, purchasing the building, hiring an entirely new staff, yeah. and defining what role we were going to have in the community, which was a little different uh, in terms of how we're supporting the community than the Largo or the shelter campus that we have. And how much have you seen that veterinary center change? Because, it, I mean, you were there as our chief during the pandemic, mm -hmm. and that had to be some... You know, we're over here in the shelter, still trying to get animals adopted. We had the social distancing, social distance from customers, but still had to treat uh, the clients, the cats and dogs. You know, how challenging was that for you and the team? Uh, it was re it was really challenging um, for all of us, I suppose, in the service industry. Um, we had never encountered anything like mm -hmm. this. And, and from a medical point of view, we are always aware of ideas of like pandemics and outbreaks and things, but we had never dealt with such a tremendous um, 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 catastrophe in some yeah, respects, yeah. you know? Um, so when we uh, were uh, confronted with that back in March of 2020, um, we immediately started to see, you know, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to really change a lot of stuff. Uh, and the restriction on resources, the challenges with things like oxygen and face masks. You know, we do surgery all day long, every day. We need a lot of resources. We started to understand, well, what's really vital to the economy? What's right, vital to the community? Uh, and uh, we, we were recognized that, you know, we were a part of that, offering yeah. services and such. Essential service. But, but we had to social distance and, and manage all of that. So uh, very quickly everybody started to realize curbside this word that we really didn't you know we used reserved for chilies and applebee's um, and chick-fil-a Chick <laughs> all of that we are going to have to sh shift to a, a curbside mentality and we didn't quite understand how that was going to work never done it before so our whole industry had to adjust to that and it was it was really challenging we we knew we especially our building which is quite uh, large in st petersburg um, there's a large physical distance between where we're in the building and the parking lot. Uh, and, you know, so just accounting for people walking back mm -hmm. and forth and dealing with the heat and the rain uh, during the summer season, uh, how to communicate with clients out in the parking lot. Uh, are we just texting them? Are we calling them their phones? Are we just running up to the car and talking through their window? You know, all of that stuff was a complete and total adjustment uh, for the entire staff. But what was really heartening about it is that within two to three weeks of truly going curbside, yeah. our staff figured it out. They, they just came together, doctors, nurses, our CCSs, our client care specialists, everybody just sort of pulled together, figured it out, and just moved forward. Oh, awesome. And now, here we are in 2023, um, spay neuter is still a primary um, service for the veterinary center. I know when I started in 2019 in animal well-being, animal welfare, I'm like, well, wait a minute, I thought everybody got Bob Barker's message to have your <laughs> your dog or cat spay or neutered. I mean, I watched uh, The Price is Right, and all of a sudden I'm learning a lot of people need that service. Why is spay and neuter you know, such an important service? Because most people, when, well, I adopted my pet, it was spayed or neutered for me. But there's just a lot out there that have not had this surgery. 
Yeah, it's still it's still a challenge in this country and, and across the, the world uh, in terms of trying to get everybody to follow through with that. Yeah. We have made tremendous inroads in this country specifically over the last 20 to 25 years as far as getting that message out. Um, and in terms of the overpopulation issues that we see, um, they have improved dramatically. That being said, it's still a problem in this country. Um, some areas in the country are really still, the shelters uh, and animal welfare groups are still overwhelmed. Um, there are other areas that it hasn't, uh, it has declined and it's getting better, which is great. I mean, that's ultimately what we're shooting for is mm -hmm. to manage right. the overpopulation issue. But there's still a lot of challenges out there. Um, and economics, you know, phase into that. Education phases into that. Um, but it certainly, uh, here at the shelter, we've had our spay-neuter program for decades, uh, and we've been, you know, sort of ticking away at that. Um, and then the opportunity to open the spay-neuter program at the Veterinary Center in St. Petersburg uh, alongside the general practice was certainly a welcome addition to what we're doing to help the problem. And what is the number you are closing in on right now for the number of spay-neuter surgeries? So uh, probably by the end of this year, I will pass 25,000 spay-neuter surgeries. Wow. Yeah, I'm just a little maybe, over 20. Maybe look 000. at your camera at 25,000. 25. <laughs> <laughs> that is an unbelievable number. And if I compared that to a baseball player getting 3,000 hits, are you closing in on the, the 3,000 hit? Is 25,000 <laughs> surgeries close to the 3,000 for a Hall of Famer? Well, it I mean, that seems like that's if, a lot. Yeah, it, it feels good, yeah. uh, and it represents several years of, of ticking away at this. I think for perspective, so I was in private practice, like I said, for mm -hmm. about 12 years, and um, we do spay-neuter surgeries, but um, the typical private practitioner only does surgical procedures one day a week, and they see appointments the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I joined the shelter, the very first year that, we really, that I joined, I immediately had to get up to speed on how to do high-volume, high-quality type surgeries. Um, and I looked back to, to kind of figure out you know, how many of surgeries had I done in the 12 years I was in private practice? And as a rough number, I came up with about a 1,000 animals that I had probably done in 12 years. Uh -huh. The first year in the shelter, I did over 3,000 surgeries. <laughs> And it was a challenge. I, Martha, yeah, Martha used to come down those first few months that I joined, and she'd see me. My hands were cramping. I was exhausted after, you know, because we'll do surgery sessions for four or five hours straight. Mm -hmm. um, and 20 to 30 surgeries potentially at the, here at the shelter. Right. Um, so it was, uh, it, was, it was challenging. But, um, yeah, coming up on 25,000, mm -hmm. just it's a kind of a cool number. Uh, and I think about... Uh, for local perspective, uh, something like Amelie Arena, the, yeah, the, yeah. the seating in there is just around 21,000. That's right. That up too long. So, you know, if you look, if you go to a concert at Amelie and you look around, I've done more than the population mm -hmm. or the capacity of that stadium yeah. already, and I'm, and I'm closing in on that 25,000. Yeah. So it feels pretty cool. So, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's bringing the thunder and the lightning, <laughs> the spay and the neuter. Yeah. What, uh, it, it seems like that number, wow, it must be get them in, get them out, going through the proper procedures. What are some of the more unique cases maybe that you've encountered with spay and neuter? Some that you're like getting ready and you're like, uh-oh. 
Yeah, so um, fortunately, it's mostly routine stuff, which is good. That's the point. We're trying to keep mm-hmm. things affordable. Uh, we're trying to keep things moving. Uh, and uh, we're trying to do the most good, you know, by doing the most uh, volume, the highest volume of animals that we can safely do. But every now and then, yeah, we get some interesting things coming along. And I think probably one of the things that uh, happens every couple of months or so that I just, I, I know the team and I feel good about, is something called pyometra. So pyometra is an infection of the uterus, uh, and it, uh, it can come up slow or it can come up fairly quickly, and there's a couple different forms of it. But invariably, in all cases, it's bad for the, for the female, whether it's a mm-hmm. dog or a cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ultimately will get sick, uh, and in some cases they will die of that Uh issue and we get some animals coming through where uh, they appear healthy on the outside I do a physical exam on everybody before surgery and we try to rely on clients uh, histories uh, let us know if there's anything they know uh, that's going on with their animals but every now and then we'll we'll I'll start a space surgery and I'll open up the pet and I will immediately notice that there's a pyometra an early stage pyometra going on and in those early stages, again, the client might not know anything's happening. Right. And, and so I'll perform and complete the space surgery, which then basically treats and resolves the, uh, the pyometra situation. But the satisfying part is knowing that when we talk to the client at the end of the day, we're like, by the way, your, your pet had a pyometra and had, had nobody caught this, you for sure would have had a sick pet. You for sure would have been seeing a veterinarian or even worse, an emergency clinic visit on a Friday night um, and possibly emergency surgery uh, to resolve the situation. For sure, thousands of dollars invested in dealing with this. Yeah, that's so catching those cases up. early uh, is pretty cool because we, we know that some animals won't make it through pyometras. And so catching it early, you know, keeping that pet from ever having to go through a true sickness, keeping the client from having to deal with a true sickness with their pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those come up from time to time, and they feel pretty special. And for pets to go through spay and neuter, period, that will help with their overall pet health, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So there are uh, a lot of um, 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 studies uh, that uh, document all the things associated with being intact, whether it's an intact female or male, Mm -hmm. as animals get older. So we see a number of cancers uh, for the boys. We see testicular cancer and prostate problems. So neutering them at an early age usually will manage all of that down the road. Uh, and for the females, things like the pyometra that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. but we also see various uh, uterine cancers, um, ovarian cancer, uh, and mammary cancer is probably the biggest thing that we, uh, that we see down the road. If we get them spayed and neutered at an early age, it should really either minimize or negate those issues down the road. So all of that adds to longevity and quality of life uh, for the animal down the road. Well, we've talked about the animals and the 25,000 number, but what about your team, the people that you are working with? Because I know the Chief Veterinary Officer, Dr. Mitchell, has done a wonderful job trying to build the organization, uh, bring in folks, train them. Obviously, you're not in there by yourself doing your thing. You have to have a a team. It's just like when they watch on TV, scalpel, (laughs) sponge. Right. So could you talk a little bit about your team? Yeah. So my surgery number would be zero without a team. Um, I am just a small part of the process that happens when, uh, let's say, on a a typical spay-neuter day uh, at the veterinary center. 
So from our client care specialists, our CCSs who uh, man the front desk and take the phone calls and make all the appointments and explain the procedure and explain what's happening to our clients, to our veterinary nurses and technicians um, who actually check in people and answer their questions and go over the paperwork and, and forms. Um, they're vital to the process. My uh, tech team um, manages essentially all the anesthesia, the preparations, uh, and allows us to do the type of volume that we do. I uh, almost have the boring role of just sitting in surgery <laughs> uh, and just doing the surgeries. They, um, they, they continually keep processing and moving animals in for me. And so ultimately what I do uh, is move literally from one table, finish a surgery. I'm, the, the next pet is already at mm -hmm. the next table. Uh, due to that really great team, and then I jump into that surgery, and that's my day going back and forth while they're doing all the hard work. Because it's not like human surgery, where if you were the human dog, you come in, how you doing today, Eric? You know, uh, we're going to do this, remember, so we'll see you in a, in a few hours. You, they have them all lined up. You don't go out and see the pet parents and say, I'm here. Yeah, so we have a check-in process. All of our surgery clients come in within roughly about an hour in the morning. Mm -hmm. our, again, our technicians and CCSs are the ones handling 100% of yeah. all of that check-in. They bring the animals back. I examine them for their pre-surgical exams. Uh, but then once I finish that, again, I just move into surgery, and I sit there, <laughs> and I just do my thing, but I'm moving back and forth while they're doing all the hustling and bustling. So they not only yeah. uh, anesthetize all the animals and prepare them, but also recover them. So after they finish with me, they bring them out to what we call the beach. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a big area where we have everybody spread out with all the equipment they need. Uh, and they do the recoveries, uh, make sure everybody's doing well. Uh, and then they also do all the paperwork. So we have templates set up, but our team is, uses those to write all the records, get all the medications dispensed. And then they check everybody out at the end of the day because everything is essentially an outpatient type of day. Uh, so uh, in the morning, out in the evening. So... Uh, so kudos to mm -hmm. that, that amazing team because it just it takes all of us. There's typically four of us that are working spay-neuter on any given day, and we, uh, we, we have the capacity for 22 surgeries in a day. So that's a lot, yeah. um, even with a team of four, uh, to just kind of keep things moving, keep things moving, keep things moving. And, and Dr. Lopez, with your decades of experience, um, we have some young doctors over mm -hmm. there. Are they... Occasionally coming in saying, hey, why'd you do this? How do you do that? And asking for uh, some of what's up here for, and, and what's going on here with the, the surgical hands. Yeah. So what's really great about the team over there is that it is a very collegial and friendly uh, group of people. So from the doctors down to the CCSs and technicians, um, everybody's willing to talk about what they're doing and pick everybody's brains. So we do have a couple of younger doctors. By definition, I'm, I'm the oldest doctor, so everybody's younger than me. Um, but um, when there is something interesting going on, whether it's one of our general practitioners and the other general practitioners see something cool and are curious, um, everybody's really willing to talk about stuff. So from my perspective in the spay-neuter thing, because that's all I do now, um, if I get an interesting case, uh, I will sometimes you know, call out and say, hey, I've got something cool. And if somebody's available, they'll often come in and kind of look over my shoulder, ask some questions. And when they've had surgeries that they need to do, uh, and if I'm available, I'll sometimes glove up and give them a hand as well, try to help out where I can. Awesome. Well, I, I know we talked a little about spay and neuter, but... Uh 
whenever we have uh, a veterinarian here as we get ready to, to wrap up. Anything you can add because at the taping of this podcast, we're getting ready for the 4th of July. Pets are always like, what's that noise? And of course, hurricane season lasts until November 30th. Anything to add about microchipping and keeping pets calm during the 4th of July? Because we do have that information on our blog on SPCATampaBay.org, but better word of mouth. (laughs) So for for any of the holidays where there's noise, so it's not just July 4th, we see New Year's uh, fireworks a lot. Um, I would say get with your veterinarian for your pet as, as early as you can. Uh, we find that there's often a rush for people to either want to talk to or get medications or talk about uh, treatment plans, about how to handle those fireworks. And it can get congested and difficult to have those conversations as you get closer to something like July 4th. So if you get with your veterinarian sooner rather than later, you're likely to have more time to prepare and think about what's going to happen, your pet's response to that, and get the right plan in place. So, so for the holidays, sooner rather than later. Um, for hurricane preparedness, every year, obviously, we're confronted with this. Um, I, I like to say that panic is not a plan. So waiting to the last minute to think about you know, what, your, what your plans are going to be. Um, that would include microchipping, which is really important. Um, and it's something that we can do very easily at the veterinary center, uh, routinely in outpatient like vaccine visits. They don't need anything special or any mm-hmm. really advanced warning to get a microchip. It's a, it's a three-second procedure, uh, and then you get registered. We do them in spay-neuter um, a lot because we have them under anesthesia. Yeah. So it's convenient, uh, but it's not required to be sedated or anything for those. But microchipping is absolutely a wonderful uh, part of the plan for hurricane preparedness. Um, and making sure that you're registered uh, and keeping those records updated. And before we let you go, I need to remind everybody that Dr. Lopez is also an ambassador. You and your wife. We are. Ambassadors. Actually, and I think this is back-to-back shows where Dr. Pendar married to a veterinarian. And (laughs) how does that happen? I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> little creepy. <laughs> That's another podcast, episode 12, Behind the Scenes. <laughs> Dr. Lopez, anything else to add? Really appreciate you being on. Uh, I just appreciate being here. I appreciate uh, the work that we're doing. The mission part of spay-neuter really uh, talks to me, having been the shelter vet. And I'm grateful that I continue to get a chance to just keep plugging away at that. Awesome. Well, we'll take a break here on Animal Tales Podcast, episode number 11, Folga Elf. Remember that. And we'll be back after a couple of commercials. Your best friend deserves the best care. Book an appointment today with the SPCA Tampa Bay Veterinary Center, a state-of-the-art facility with a state-of-the-art staff and state-of-the-art patients, too. All your pet health needs in one location, accepting new patients today. Call 727-220-1770. What are you doing?
And welcome back to Animal Tales Podcast, episode number 11. We just talked with Dr. Rizal Lopez. want to thank him for his service to our country because you heard him talk about his, his time in the Navy and also service to our community in spay and neutering your pet. Time now for Barking News. Barking News, we call it that, well, because we're an Animal Tales Podcast. Otherwise, if we we're in the news business, it would be breaking news. But we're barking this news to you. Clear the Shelters is coming up in August. August 26th, it's a big adoption event, not only here, but across the country for the entire month of May. We partner with Hills Pet Nutrition and other great sponsors. We hope you will join us here Saturday for pets that need their forever home. That's dogs, cats, and all of our for all animals. The day before that, Friday, August 25th, should be our big event with the Rays. Be on social media with us, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, or sign up for our email newsletter. Go to our website, sbcatampabay.org. We have a Contact Us button, and you can sign up for our newsletter. That way, you will be able to buy tickets to the Rays versus Yankees. It will be our community event night, day before clear the shelters and of course when you buy those tickets which will be discounted by the way that money comes back to the shelter and helps our animals here and helps us accomplish our mission whether it's spay and neuter here at the shelter or spay and neuter for private pets uh, over at the veterinary center down in st pete i'm working backwards this one i went from august 26th to august 25th and now coming up july 8th the kitten shower again go to our website sbcatampabay.org and click on get involved or click on the home page and one of the four big information barking news boxes i would like to call them has all the information on the kitten shower and we will have kittens you will find out how you can help foster them and of course you can bring donations for the kittens in our care one more thing before we wrap up episode number 11 we want to talk about liking and subscribing you did it last week when we had 93 percent of you that were not subscribed we got that number down to the 70s really appreciate that folks so if you like and subscribe and you hit that notification bell we will let you know or youtube will let you know when we have a new story on our channel not just the podcast that's going to do it thank you matt for working all the camera magic and for dr rizal lopez our guest and all of our spca tampa bay staff team members you know we talked about spay or neuter and i think we should end the show just the way bob barker would want us to thank you for watching help control the pet population have your pets spayed or neutered goodbye everybody